Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Mangala Kupa, the Labor Department's Director of Business Application Services. Mangala, thanks so much for taking the time to join me. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. The reason why we're talking today is because I'm doing a retrospective, if you will, on the E-Government Act of 2002. It celebrated its 20th anniversary in 2022. But we're looking at a series of different projects that really got their beginnings from both the E-Government Act as well as from the E-Government Act Quicksilver initiatives, E-Government Act initiatives back in in around the same time frame. And and Benefits.gov was one of those. So let's just start with the beginning. What is the current status of Benefits.gov? You are, I think, it's, it's under your portfolio. Uh, give us the latest of, of how it looks and, and how it's being used today. Benefits.gov, is, as you mentioned, is one of the portfolio items I have, and I'm very uh, proud of this initiative. Back in 2002, when EGO was initiated, the goal was to kind of collaborate across government to increase access of government, government benefits to the citizens, right? Since its inception, we helped over 200 million citizens get better access to the government benefits. We have won over 49 industry awards. Personally, for me, though, it really helps the American citizens and the public. We get feedback, folks sending us information like, you know, I was looking for, you know, replacing my heating system at home. I couldn't find resources. I came to the benefits.gov. It helped me found, you know, find the USDA Rural Development Grant, and, and which helped uh, them to take care of their um, home uh, improvement project. We also have veterans who often send information to us saying that benefits.gov helped them actually find housing through the pathway programs. You know, those to me personally are very gratifying aspect of having this particular engagement in my portfolio. Throughout the years, there have been many uh, enhancements to this uh, particular uh, system and the platform. We provided, I think, tremendous value to both our partnering agencies, which 16 of them, as well as the department and the American public. If we did not have benefits.gov, people would have had to search through a maze of websites to just get the benefits information. And you can imagine how frustrating frustrating that can be. And as government, we're constantly looking for reaching out to the public, right? And so this actually platform and the program offers that kind of value, not just to our public, but also our partnering agencies. It's actually a very minimal cost to the agencies because we take care of uh, outreach. You know, we reach out through social media outlets. We reach out through other means uh, to the citizens to make sure that we are actually catering to their experience of finding benefits benefits uh, that government has. Currently, we have over 1,100 benefits listed on benefits.gov. We have um, received food traffic on an average 1.5 million. During the COVID time, though, we used to constantly get over 2 million. Obviously, that's expected. We have over 800 email subscribers at this point in time. We have 40,000 followers on the social media. So this is really one of those examples where there is value. That's why the public comes to benefits.gov. And that's really a gratifying experience. Personally, for me, obviously, I've been part of uh, this engagement for the last three years. I'm with the CIO. I am with the department for 13 years, you know, and uh, I came from the private sector. So what keeps me with the department, obviously, is the mission. Uh, What keeps me with the CIO is really I feel like I'm in a private sector. You know, we have a large portfolio of uh, mission applications we support for our, our Department of Labor Agencies. You know, we have technology from from extreme, you know, legacy to modern technologies. We invest heavily in innovation. We invest heavily in emerging technology. So it's all in all very gratifying experience for me 
and especially as it relates to benefit benefits.gov for the last 20 years i think the value that it brings to the table is it just speaks volumes of what this initiative is about and why it has been successful for so many years appreciate the statistics i appreciate the little bit of background about it one of the things about benefits.gov over the years is there's so many websites you could go to and the whole goal was to make it easier is that Still, the main goal is to bring down the barriers, if you will, bring down this, well, do I need to go to the VA or do I go to USDA or do I need to go to labor for my benefits or can I find it all in one place? That's still the overarching goal for Benefits.gov. Absolutely. Back in ego days, there used to be this phrase called no wrong door. You know, I'm sure you're familiar with that. You know, so, I mean, we want to make sure that at the end of the day, what we are providing is to benefit the citizen. So you can imagine if you have to go to different websites and and navigate the mage, that can be very hard experience. So we have done a lot of things in that space to make benefits.gov very accessible. For example, there is a is short kind of, you know, confidential emails, questions that you can answer. It's called Benefits Finder. So instead of looking through 1,000 plus benefits in, in our system, you could actually narrow it down to your personal situation. That's one of you know, the very well-used uh, aspects of Benefits.gov. It's called uh, Benefits Finder. We also in- incorporated recently Chatbot technology to kind of better um, assist the public who come and looking for benefits. Sometimes uh, some folks exactly know what they're looking for. Some folks would come in and they're just like, you know, tell me what are the benefits available? And, and, and so we're trying to cater to all of those sections. We have, um, you know, made it available to the public, like categorization of benefits so that they can narrow it down a more natural pace. One of the things we're looking to add this year and the next year is actually add life events. You know, somebody has a child, somebody got married, you know, somebody is retiring. So kind of having that life event driven benefits information could be one more way to kind of make it more user friendly. I would say, you know, the user experience improvement is more of a recent topic that you hear a lot. Uh, But I would say benefits.gov actually started that back in 2004. So everything we have done is actually to like make it easier for public to access government benefits information. Yeah, it's always interesting when we talk about this idea of customer experience, customer service, and you mentioned no wrong front door. I, I always think about you know three clicks to service. Can they find what they want in those three clicks? And I think one of the things that Benefits.gov did was you say I'm a veteran who owns a farm and I live in a rural part of America. What am I qual- potentially qualified for? And it, it tells you, and I think – the, the very simple, very straightforward. You mentioned the platform and how has it evolved. Back in 2004, 2005, I'm sure it started on-premise. I imagine now it's in the cloud. What is the kind of the latest technology that underpins benefits.gov that, from a high level? It's definitely cloud-native technologies. Uh, we make use of everything that the latest and the greatest offers. We also created the platform in such a way that we can actually diversify on the platform very easily. It's not just benefits.gov. We use the platform for our dual mission applications as well. So we spend a lot of time imagining creating the platform in such a way that a lot can be reshared. And one of the parameters also was that we wanted the cost proposition to be very palatable for our partnering agencies. On an average, I think it's like 100, 100 grand cost for really, really promoting the benefits that the agency offers, as well as all of the outreach that we perform, right? So the technology has started with, you know, it's a 20 year back, obviously, there's a lot of older technology at the time, but we kept investing into making sure that it is the current and 
And I think you should find comfort in the fact that it's not just the benefits.gov that we use the platform for. We also use it for DOL applications, which are all cloud-based applications using the same, uh, same infrastructure. And then the opposite side of that coin, of course, is the user experience. And, and how are you looking at the user experience? I think the, the chatbot example is a pretty good one. It makes it a little bit easier to ask questions and get answers. Let's start there. What was the impetus to kind of add that feature to it? And what other features have you added recently, you know, in the last three to five years or so? The driving force for Benefits.gov has always been the customer experience, right? So we had invested in CSAT tools, as as you call them, right, that collect information from the customers as what is working for them, what is not working. We have multiple channels. We collect feedback. One is the automatic metrics we use, like which page is being used most, um, where are we getting our hits from, what is public finding difficult to you know, you know, access, and what is more useful. So there's a lot of automated metrics we collect using Google Analytics and other means like that. But we also have injected a few um, survey that that kind of, you know, based on what the user is doing, if we feel like the user is struggling to find information, things like that, we actually pop a survey to them that they can respond to and give us a little bit more focused feedback. And we use that information in our strategic planning to make sure that we are making the platform more and more useful. We also have help desk. So we seek out proactively, you know, please tell us what you like, what you don't like. Obviously, we want to keep what people like uh, and keep doing that. And we want to through on what people uh, may find it a little bit more uh, difficult to navigate, even though it's a very useful tool. We have some plans right now to make it more state-specific filtering as well. We do have a lot of state-specific benefits information available right now, but we want to expand on that. Earlier, I spoke about life events. Something that people may not be aware with Benefits.gov is while we started Benefits.gov, quickly within the first three to five years, there is a GovLoans.gov. You know, there is a SSABest.gov, right? Uh, and, and also disaster assistance, FEMA's disaster assistance.gov started out with the benefits.gov platform. So not just we have uh, been able to kind of serve the benefits.gov, but we have been able to kind of diversify into some smaller focus areas for public. So if somebody is purely interested in gov loans, they can branch off into govloans.gov, which is also part of the benefits.gov and get the information from there. So um, I think the focus continues to be what are American public looking for? And how can we make it, like you mentioned, three clicks, right? Uh, I would say two clicks if we can help it, right? So we've been very focused on that. I think fortunately, the data and, and, and what we are collecting as a feedback seems to suggest that we are in the right direction. The one thing that I did not hear you mention, and it's one of those areas that I've looked at over the years, what you can figure out what you are qualified potentially for, but you can't necessarily apply. And I thought over the years when the E-Government Act was put out there and, and the Office of Management Budget was setting up these programs, I thought the application piece was really key. Have you guys had any conversations over the years about, well, could we make it that if you are qualified potentially for a loan from VA, could you apply automatically from benefits.gov? Or does that cross maybe a line that you know, it's, it's you could do it, but that becomes much more complicated than maybe it's worth. And we can get the person to the VA website where then they can apply. Has there been discussions about that other piece of the puzzle? Very good question and very good observation. In fact, um, my association with Benefits Dargo has been the three years I'm with OCIO. My first question is that it's great. You know, it's like you go into a library and you get information. Now I actually want to apply and get those benefits, right? I think we have uh, been discussing that. Um, I think that would be, that is also kind of a feedback we received from our constituents saying that it'd be great we could just apply. I think there are areas that we can actually make progress technology-wise, like direct them to the website of that particular agency who 
who you know, provides that benefit. We do have to navigate few policy areas as well in that space to make sure that ultimately it's not the Department of Labor who is really you know governing that benefit uh, application process. It is the other agency that is the partner agency. So um, more to come on that I think Jason is that it's a very good uh, observation. Um, it's a point that our constituents also would like is that you know not just I get the information I want to apply. I think we do direct them to, to, to the agency websites and I'm sure there's more we can do in that space to expand on this. I know it's been one of those big obstacles in, in the way for, for a lot of agencies is that application piece. So I, I know it's something that things have gotten better about and will take some time to work on. So, and, and as you said, there's some policy challenges that go with it. So uh, I, I appreciate that. Mangal, on that note, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can continue our conversation. My guest is Mangala Kupa, the Director of Business Application Services in the Labor Department's Office of the Chief Information Officer. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Mangala Kupa, the Director of the Business Application Services Office in the Labor Department's Office of the CIO. When you look back at, at some of the 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 reasons why benefits.gov got started, you, you mentioned early on going through statistics about 16 agencies that are using it. Uh, you have about 1,100 benefits listed. Is there always a push to add, add more, or do you feel like you're at a, you know, there are always more benefits that will be available from the government? Congress passes a law, they create a benefit, we get that. But are you looking to add more agencies, or do you feel like you, you've kind of saturated? Here's the, the main group that really. That, that makes the most sense to have on benefits.gov? Um, we are always looking to expand, right? Because again, the goal is to make sure that the public has the most comprehensive information available. There is a lot, a lot of upkeep, as you mentioned, you know, along the way, there's changes that come along. We want we want to make sure that the content is accurate and most current and latest. Um, so the 16 agencies are pretty, constitute the core mass of government, right? So these are really large agencies that are partners in this program. But I think we're always looking to expand. You know, there is new policies, new laws that provide additional information. So there is a process we have to onboard new partners. There is a governance structure we have in how we try to plan out two years ahead, just keeping up with the pace of the government, right? So so I would say we are constantly looking to expand. Um, I think that the value it brings to the, the partner agencies uh, cannot be underscored anymore because if each agency has to do this on their own, you're talking about probably a couple of millions of dollars of effort. And, and e, this particular platform, I think the beauty of it is that all of that gets divided up across the partners. So the per value proposition is really, really great. And it's not just the money. It's really the effectiveness, the efficiency. And I, we always love to throw in those words in government of, of saying, hey, I'm the user. I don't really care which website I have to go to. I just want to find the benefits that I potentially am qualified for. And I don't want to have to go to six or seven different websites. And and so I have to be, be honest, Mangala, I I thought you'd have more. I thought you'd have 40 or 50. There's 115 agencies. <laughs> but I also realized the opposite, right? You you are fighting an uphill battle in the sense of how many can you support? How much right. money can you have? So I, I'm sure there's there's a balance that you have to strike. You're absolutely right. Even though I mentioned the budget from an efficiency standpoint that, you know, this tremendous value is delivered at a really uh, penny cost, right? Uh, but you're absolutely right. Uh, I mean, we could be adding more and more. Um, there is a process in place to do that. We do focus a, a whole lot on 
the public and their needs, right? So you can imagine, let's say if somebody is looking for, has to visit each agency website and find out what benefits are available versus just come to our website and figure out everything that is applicable to them. And some of the future enhancements we have planned out with life events and additional things like that, I think it gets better and better in terms of finding focused benefits that the public can use. Uh, but you're absolutely right. The, the, the value is really serving the citizen and making sure that they, they get the information right away. It's like, you know, if you, if you have a disaster and immediately public is like, well, what benefits can I ask for? And immediately they get the information. And that's the value I think Benefits.gov platform brings to the table. If I'm an agency listening to this and I said, oh, I didn't even know Benefits.gov existed or still existed. I thought that went away after the Bush administration. Uh, is there a way for them to apply or to contact you? I mean, do you all have beyond email addresses, of course, and phone numbers that everyone has, but do you ever have Benefits.gov open houses or you know, industry days or, or agency days, I guess would be the better one. How, how do you want them to work with you if they feel like they have a benefit they want to add to your list already? We have many ways that they can reach out to us and we will send you a specific list of ways that they can do that um, after this interview. But you brought up something that I do want to mention, Tech Days. You know, DOL, as you may be aware, that we host Tech Days, uh, you know, and, and it's one of the widely attended event. We will actually be showcasing benefits.gov there and we're expecting, um, you know, participation from all federal agencies, some congressional participation as well. Um, along with public and others. So I think it's a great avenue for agencies who are not partners to come and take a look uh, and see what this uh, platform is offering and how they can kind of promote their benefits to the public through this platform. Uh, But we also have social media handles, people can reach out. So I I think instead of me skipping something and responding to you, I would request uh, my team crew here to uh, reach out after the interview and give you all of that information. Uh, I want to touch upon a, a few other things. When we talk about Benefits.gov, it really got its start because of the E-Government Act. And it's really, you know, without the E-Government Act, would we have Benefits.gov? It's it's one of those, yes, no, who knows? Maybe it would have emerged on its own. But when you look back, or, and again, I know you've only been working on Benefits.gov for a handful of years, but I'm sure you've talked to folks over the years at Labor. How was the E-Government Act of 2002 and the Quicksilver initiatives after that really the big impetus to get this going? Like, in your eyes, would this have happened otherwise, or it's just maybe, maybe not, but this may, this really put down the, the, the stake in the ground for you all to reach toward? So the good news is that the team, the, my team that supports Benefits.go has been supporting for the last 20 years, pretty much. So, so even though there's a leadership change along the way, I think there is a continuity of the concept and the operations. And I would have to say, Jason, I think is that without the ego, I would have to say it would not have happened, maybe not back in 2002. It had it had to organically come across at some point in time, but it may have taken a different path, obviously, right? So I would have to conclude, in my opinion, knowing uh, the history and how it started and how really the EGO um, Act was kind of the basis that we started this. That kind of um, focused all agencies to collaborate with each other, create value, create services that the public can access easily. I think we stood on that act to start this. And this has been such a successful partnership. I would have to conclude that without that, it would have been difficult, if not impossible. Do you get a sense just when you look across labor and other things you work on besides Benefits.gov that do you see the impact of the government Act, you know, day in and day out, week in and week out uh, in terms of whether or not it's, hey, because of the government Act, we do this. But 
oh, without that, this would not have happened or would not have happened as easily. Do you, do you feel that each, each day, each week, each month? I think so. So, I mean, not just the Ego Act, right? Generally, whenever we have a, a an act or an executive order or something, I think what it does is really focus us um, in things that we already know, but it gives, gives us ammunition to act more quickly. And in a very natural, organic way, we start reacting to those acts, reacting to those executive orders and figuring out what is the best way to go about it. So I think I see it uh, not just back in 2002. I think a lot of collaborative systems that we have, even within the Department of Labor, I think, you know, even coming into the Paperwork Reduction Act, digitization focus, everything is really starting with some, um, I would say, a good act or a good policy or a good direction that comes, um, you know, from the government and then the results follow. Obviously, you know, I tend to measure success of a product based on the value it brings. And the value can only be measured by whether the intended customers or the users of the public are actually using it. The fact that we get 2 million plus foot, you know, foot traffic every month, even today after 20 years, I think is a good sign, right? So to, to answer your question, absolutely. I think, um, I think specific to Ego, I think in, in, in the heels of the anniversary of 20th, is it the 20th anniversary almost for right? I think not just benefits.gov, in many of the collaborative directions that have been taken across government have uh, probably their, you know, foot ground in the, in the, in, in the Ego Act. When these laws get passed, it's always interesting to see, okay, what's going to happen? And, and this is a good opportunity, and this is why I'm doing these interviews with you and, and hopefully several others around government, to really get to that. We know that it's been around. We know that, you know, okay, the idea of collaboration is not new. We've seen it over the years. But here's a forcing function, and sometimes you do need that forcing function to, okay, now we have a reason to come together. And, oh, look at the benefits we're seeing when you look forward for, for benefits.gov and you talked about some of the things you'd like to add, but let's maybe look even further out. 20 years from now, when we when you and I hopefully aren't talking about the 40th anniversary <laughs> of, of the Government Act, but maybe we will be, what do you, what do you hope it's doing? You know, what, what do you, The impact it has is only going to grow. What, what do you hope for it as you kind of continue to look out in, much in the future? So, so I hope we continue on the success, right? Um, so sometimes in government, we tend to look at things and they're successful and we like maybe we can change this this recipe here and, and, and go a different direction. I, I would caution uh, around that, you know, I think um, I, I think it's it's a great platform that stood the test of time for 20 years, you know, and, and we really, really, really have to look at those uh, few examples I gave you as uh, as public senders feedback. You know, I was looking for this. Thank you, benefits.gov. I was able to find this information and make my problem go away. I have a solution now, right? I think I think those are the areas that we need to focus on and continue to really um, expand on the number of benefits that we we collect right now information about, expand our partnership with additional agencies, promote further, increase um, relevance to the public, right? Um, and it's a constant exercise, Jason, because you're trying to evaluate what does public look for, you know, and, and that's a very personal, personalized action, right? I may come in and look for, hey, I have just had a childbirth in my family. What kind of assistance can I get from government, right? To somebody like you may go in and you're looking for something else. So I think 
expanding on that, I hope that this platform continues to evolve in its current shape and expand and become more and more useful. Um, I hope we embrace the no wrong door approach where, um, you know, no matter, you know, where people are coming from, as, as long as the content, the information is current and qualitative, that we kind of supply that to the public who is looking for that information. Um, I, I really hope it takes off, you know, maybe in the future, we, we start using more of more of a responsible AI to further assist people. Maybe there's more integration into not just, you know, getting information about benefits, but also so being able to apply more seamlessly, right? So I think there's a lot of improvements we can make still. And I just hope that we don't lose the value that we that the, the platform is providing today and continue to build on it rather than look for um, new ways to find out how else to do this better, you know? Mangal, on that note, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can continue our conversation. My guest is Mangala Kupa, the Director of Business Application Services in the Labor Department's Office of the Chief Information Officer. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Mangala Kupa, the Director of the Business Application Services Office in the Labor Department's Office of the CIO. Mangala, I want to shift gears a bit and talk about your honor of being a finalist for the Women in Technology Awards for the Government and Business Technology category. First of all, congratulations on that honor. Thank you. I, I want to start with just some basics. Uh, uh, you know, when, when the women in technology, they, they look at folks like yourself in the federal sector and, and recognize you, it, it's sometimes for a project, sometimes it's for just the, the work you're doing. So as the director of uh, business application services, Maybe we should talk about what do you do for that? What is in your portfolio? Uh, give me some background on your role. It's a very humbling experience to know that um, an organization like Women in Technology uh, actually picked me as one of the finalists. So I'm, I'm honored to be in the company of my fellow nominee. I'm especially, this, this is going to be very dear to my heart because, um, you know, WIT promotes empowering women and girls and, and, and to get recognition from them it means a lot to me personally. I'm currently the Director of Business Application Services. Really what that title means is that I'm responsible for the mission systems that the department uses. I'm supported by wonderful staff. Um, I could not be any more happier. They're talented. We have smart leadership in department. And, and, and so we support around 500 applications, mission applications for the Department of Labor. Some of them are obviously government-to-government applications as well, whether it's benefits.gov or eFast or some other system that multiple agencies use. So I do have those in my portfolio as well. We operate, maintain, you know, uh, a big push in the government, as you know, is to kind of modernize from legacy technologies. So that's part of the um, part of part of the role as well. We also, you know, continue to build and use latest technologies like, you know, artificial intelligence or chatbots to improve and further provide value to our mission uh, mission agencies and and to find efficiencies in our operations. Five hundred mission applications is that's a. a, a- from your perspective, a lot? Is that a little? Is that is that about average for a place like Department of Labor? And, and, the, and the fact that it's mission side versus the back office side, right? Imagine the applications that support payroll or support, which I know is outsourced to another agency. I get that. But HR or finance and stuff like that, that's in someone else's portfolio or is that, that is included in yours too? 
a lot of is is included in that 500 um as ocio we, we we have the entire portfolio i mean large or small is relative right so you find something larger like defense or some other <laughs> department like that and you could say well that's that's an average portfolio but i would say uh, department of labor is one of the diverse missions we have um you know my personal liking working at the dol and also with the ocio is that it really caters to the the, the public the labor and and the mission is 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 of interest to me personally uh, to me 500 is it is just a decent chunk <laughs> to handle uh, i would say it is one of my largest engagements i have ever held and and more interestingly more than the quantity there i think what it is is that about three years back, OCIO Department DOL embarked on this initiative called Shared Services, which you may have been heard about or familiar with. And so what it did, what it did is that the IT mission support that used to be part of each agency is moved under OCIO umbrella. And the idea there is that you kind of increase efficiency with that. So my role and the most, uh, you know, kind of, you know, most interesting aspect of my role is really looking across all 27 agencies we serve, the ability to find commonality, the ability to kind of improve the efficiency of operations is really um, appealing to me in my role. It's a pretty cool job. (laughs) It is a pretty big job, pretty cool job at that. And and I think one of the things that labor should get a lot of more credit for and, and and we're trying to give them some credit by talking today like this is that is that centralization that it went through because it, it's very difficult for a lot of agencies and and to address things like you know shadow IT and to set up some guardrails so people feel like they're getting their IT needs met at the same time they're not hamstrung by IT as well it sounds like you probably came into this role just as the centralization was happening can you discuss maybe your background a little bit I'm with the department for 13 years in my current job for three years. I joined just when the first agency moved into shared services, which is ETA. Prior to joining the department, I have um, a good um, decade plus experience in the private sector. Um, I am that techie that you normally hear about, you know, started uh, as a developer, grew into ranks of being, you know, architects and the managers and the program managers. When the time came to, um, I, I've been very busy being in the private sector and I said, I need to be doing something more in the public service area. And, and I'm so happy I chose Department of Labor. It has been a very gratifying, gratifying experience for the last 13 years working here. So that's kind of my background. And the, the applications and the support, the, the thing I would say with this particular job is that when I joined, it was just shared services beginning. That's where rubber meets the road. Now you actually have the responsibility coming in. All the planning is done. Now it's the time for reality to kick in, right? And also mission application support is the new wing that that that, that OCIO inherited. Um, so it's a huge change management exercise because it's not just about IT and systems, right? Because you got people that moved from one area to the other area. The developers or the support staff or the vendors who were supporting were working directly with the agencies. Now they all moved under the OCIO umbrella. So um, right off the bat, I had kind of the awareness that it is as much as much of a people exercise as it is of a systems exercise. You know, it was important to provide that kind of a home feeling to the people who kind of moved in as well with the systems, maintain that system stability, um, don't break anything, obviously, <laughs> as you're inheriting. Uh, but I would say that we've been very successful in doing that. And, and, and not just we are... Um, I would say we were we are not just surviving, we are thriving, and we are beginning to unleash the real potential of shared services. And I think next five years is going to really make a sea change 
in, in department's portfolio in our ability to really, really use technology to drive the mission. I definitely want to talk about that sea change a little bit more and how you're starting to kind of put those foundational pieces in place. But let me take a half a step back and start with the people piece. It's one thing we've heard over the last you know, 20, 25 years. Oh, it's never a technology problem. It's a people problem or culture problem. What were some of those steps that you took to as the shared services was being stood up and as you were bringing in applications and new people and the people who maintain those applications into the fold – how did you ensure that, that you had the right culture, that they felt included, that it wasn't us versus them, but we together? Well, absolutely. I think you have to reach out, right? As people moved in, we made sure that we made a contact. They knew that the leadership has an open door policy. They can come in. We quickly established um, kind of you know a structure that can support the people that are coming in. There are many things you have to do for that culture, uh, you know, for the sea change to happen. But the first thing you have to do is make sure that whatever uh, whatever concerns and whatever um, fears that people have mo- moving from one area to the other area, that you have somewhere to go and, and, and actually seek help. I think it's a number of factors, finding opportunity to, to have, you know, groups get togethers and, you know, making sure that as leaders, we're accessible to everyone, making sure that when people have a question, that they have a place to go and ask, retaining the support that they have been providing so that there's not a huge change right right off the bat in the day-to-day activities that they were performing, being patient with the changes that you would want to make because the last thing you want to do is like inherit something and change everything, right? So you, you had to kind of you know, exercise your patience and incorporate meaningful changes to drive the portfolio forward. So, so there is a lot. And to me... Um, it's people, process, and technology. So it is uh, something that you have to be intentional. Um, I, I kind of uh, think of the staff as the primary asset. You, you know, it's not always some, something that you can replace a good employee with somebody else right off the bat. I think you, you have to do everything to retain that that person and you know, what they are interested in. And part of it is also it's like a puzzle piece, right? You have to understand the strengths and, and aspirations of each of your staff and you kind of give the work that uh, that is in their uh, forte or something that they would like to work on. I would say a happy employee uh, makes a makes a happy environment and, and, and the work follows very naturally from there. I think people sometimes lose sight of how important that is. If you find something that the employee wants to do versus something you're telling them to do, then they're going to be a much happier employee. And I think sometimes it gets lost in the government because, oh, well, we are the government. We have to do certain things. But doesn't mean they have to be bad things in the sense of like boring or, or, or not fun for the lack of a better word. Did you have some of that where you, know, you had to kind of shift people around because they were in roles that maybe weren't suited for them, but you had to find the right role for them? Absolutely. That has been a, almost a step one of it. And also you, you need to provide a backing, right? If there are, let's say, mess ups or failures that as leadership, you want your employee to feel like they'll be supported. It starts with listening to them, right? And really, really understanding what keeps them here, what are their aspirations and motivations, and genuinely being invested in their career, right? One thing that I'm very passionate about for others in my in my staff or wherever I go is really how can I help my staff reach their goals? I feel like at this point in my life and my career, my job is to support others. And hopefully, you know, some of the challenges I have experienced coming to, to this position where I am today, uh, if I can make that path easier for others, and that would be, that, that is something that I focus on. 
Mangala, on that note, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can continue our conversation. My guest is Mangala Kupa, the Director of Business Application Services in the Labor Department's Office of the Chief Information Officer. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Mangala Kupa, the Director of the Business Application Services Office in the Labor Department's Office of the CIO. When you came in to this role, it was probably right at the beginning of the pandemic as well, and that made things probably a lot more challenging versus, hey, everyone come to the office and we're going to hang out and get to know each other. All of a sudden, I'm sure you had your share of, of video teleconference calls and you had your share of uh, meetings that way. How much of the pandemic, don't want to spend too much time on the pandemic, impacted your ability to kind of get that shared service effort up and running and meet the goals of the agency outside of the technology side, which you can do from anywhere. But it's, it's as you said, that people side, the process side even. You know, interestingly, I still have, I have about a thousand staff organization. I still haven't met 900 of them possibly or 950 of them. <laughs> so that speaks volumes, right? So in, interestingly, within the department at OCIO, we did not miss a beat with the pandemic transition. I mean, you can say we lucked out on it, but we also were intentional about it, right? There are new employee onboarding orientations we conduct across OCIO. There are quarterly orientations we do. There are social hours we do. Uh, and and we, we are very intentional about creating environments where people can get together. Even if it's virtual, we are very intentional about, uh, you know, incorporating some team building events that can be handled virtually or hybrid wise. A combination of the intentional actions to bring people together and not miss the fact that nobody is physically in the office, uh, combined with uh, even, you know, to underscore the technology, the teams and the other investments, we really did not miss a beat. And I really have to commend OCIO leadership for it uh, because, the next day, we all were on teams and, and systems performed and there was no degradation. So that's that, that's huge as well. Uh, that allowed us to focus on people rather than technology problems. So I think an intentional exercise to cater to people has helped us a lot. Now that, you know, slowly people are flowing back into offices and things like that, I hope I hope to meet all my staff someday. <laughs> but it hasn't really affected our ability to perform. Uh, and and I keep joking with people. I'm a six foot tall person. When you meet me in person, just look for the tallest. Uh, that couldn't be any more um, untrue. <laughs> it's you got to keep them guessing a little bit because you know right. they only see you from the waist up, right? right. How tall are you? <laughs> Nobody really knows. <laughs> and, and, and the the other side of this coin, of course, is the is the. The technology, of course, and, and you mentioned, you know, you hope to really over the next five years really make a sea change around shared services. Where are you at today with shared services and how do you foresee it kind of continuing to evolve or to, to reach that, you know, next next five years as you as you continue to thrive? I think a big focus right now is um, how do we improve the, the portfolio and, and is it supporting the agency's mission? Where can we complement with newer technologies that we already have? Are we using the newer technologies for the benefit they provide? So the, there's so many areas that we're focusing on. The one favorite area that I have that I would like to touch on is um, really connecting capabilities across agencies. What that does is that next time when you have to build a new solution or a new system, instead of building it from 
from scratch. Now we we kind of make it like a collection of what's already available and you quickly build something. So the time to market, the time to benefit from the solution is going to be a lot better. So we're doing a lot of foundational creating capability metrics out of it, establishing centers of excellence so that the technology is used for the right purpose in the right way. Sometimes it, it may result in a lot of talk and no actual benefit. So what we want to make sure is that there is actually actual benefit that our agencies will uh, will experience uh, with this shared services initiative, which is really the driver in doing this for the department. And I, I feel like we are well on our way and, and really connecting the dots, investing more into SaaS solutions, cloud-based solutions, you know, reducing our footprint where we don't have to spend time in, in jobs that can be automated. And use that uh, that power to focus on more value added work. Uh, I think that's a that's an area whether it's through chatbots or AI or other means. I think um, there's going to be a lot of work in that space in the next five years, along with really really understanding connecting the mission, breaking it down into pieces that can be shared and the pieces that need to remain unique. I, I think that's going to bring about a sea change uh, in the next five to six years. You mentioned metrics and you mentioned centers of excellence. Let me start with those. What are some of those metrics that you are using to say, okay, these applications are meeting their goals or the opposite, you know, these applications need to do better. We need to move them to the cloud or upgrade them in some way, or we need to get some user-centered design involved here because it's not helping our our customers enough. Anything that you can offer? We do have um, a formalized service level agreements that we measure every quarter, right? So we measure for each application the uptime availability. We measure how agile and reactive we are for emergency events. That's another SLA. We measure whether we are on track with projects, which tends to be standard OMB measure as well, schedule variance, cost variance, if you're familiar with those terminologies. Are we on track with our development initiatives? Are we reducing our dependence on legacy technology, right? So these are all measures that we formally measure and and, and we look for, you know, are we improving? Are we getting better? Um, are we getting worse kind of thing? So that's kind of uh, some of the measures. Well, on the metric side, you know, when you move to a shared services like you did, it's it can be very difficult to make a lot of people happy, right? Like, oh, well, I liked it my way. The way you're doing is different or maybe it's better, but I can't see that it's better because it's not my way. Was that one of the big hurdles you had to get through to as you created the shared service office and started to move applications from the mission areas or the agencies into this you know, centralized approach? I think it's more of not my way or your way. It's more of a fear of, can I continue to have the support I need? I think, you know, what worked very well for me personally, as well as for OCIO is that we are very transparent. When when there are problems, we were transparent about them in, in, in kind of, you know, sharing that information as well as making sure that we are persistent and rigorously follow up and make sure that problem is resolved. I think working to create transparency and, 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 and a very trusted relationship with your customers is the key to really, really kind of bring them along to a new method of doing things. And, and 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 more importantly, we listen to just because our way is the best way in our minds doesn't mean much sometimes, right? So we are open in listening to the conversations. I do not I do not say this very lightly. OCIO is blessed with smart leadership. Department of Labor is blessed with really really smart leadership. Every time I have a discussion with Gandeep or or, or DCIOs, I feel like, gosh, when will I become like them? <laughs> because because there's so much ahead in their thinking and thought process that um, I think that 
the entire OCIO benefits and the Department of Labor benefits with the smart leadership. So I think we have been able to, yes, you're right, you know, there are concerns initially and we have been able to really, really address those concerns by having a listening attitude, explaining, trans- creating transparency, acknowledging when mistakes are made, but also carving out a path of how we will fix them. So all of these above actions, I think, helped us kind of create that relationship with our agency customers. Let me thank my guest. Mangala Kupa is the Labor Department's Director of Business Application Services. Mangala, thanks so much for taking the time. And thank you, Jason. It's a pleasure. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. 